Varev, my name is Pietro Shakarian, and I'm here to present the series Seven Who Made History. So what do we mean by this idea of seven who made history? If we look at our Republic of Armenia, if we look at Yerevan, it is very clear that this republic just didn't come out of nowhere and just randomly appeared. There was a whole history of uh, historical developments that led to the Armenian state emerging as it is today. And so much of the infrastructure, so much of the culture that had developed is a legacy of the Soviet experience. So I ask you to join me as we explore seven personalities in the Soviet Armenian history who helped make our Armenian state today. These historical figures include Alexander Myasnikan, Stepan Shamian, Shushani Korginian, Nersik Stepanian, Agassi Khanjian, Anastas Mikoyan, and Yakov Zorobian. So please join me as we explore these seven personalities who made the Armenian history. And thank you very much for joining me on this journey. Probably, if you live in Armenia, you know a very famous city on the southern shores of Lake Sevan, Martuni. And also, you probably know that there is a uh, part of Artsakh, Martuni, and actually a town in Artsakh, Martuni. And why? what is this Martuni? Where did this come from? You know, this name. This Martuni is, uh, in fact, the, it was the nom de guerre of a very, very famous Armenian revolutionary from the Soviet times, Alexander Fyodorovich Myasnikan. He was born in, on January 28th, 1886, in Nor Nakichevan. Now, Nor Nakichevan, if you know what that is, it's the district of Rostovandon in southern Russia, that is primarily kind of the Armenian uh, quarter, if you will. Uh, so why is it called Nornakichivan? Because the Armenians who settled in this Nornakichivan were exactly Armenians from the uh, original Nakichivan, Hin Nakichivan. So this is uh, kind of the, the connection there. Um, so that's also very, very important to, to state that this is Nor Nakichivan, not the, you know, Nakichivan on Araks. This is the one in Rostovandan. And because there are some people, there are some scholars actually who have said that Myasnikan was born in Nakichivan, which is not, this is not, uh, you know, necessarily accurate. Now, if you drive into Yerevan, right? So if you're driving into the city, you know, you, you uh, are going past, uh, let's say, the cognac factory, you're going past the city hall, Yerevan City Hall, the, the city museum of Yerevan, and the Moscow house in Yerevan. And when you, when you go past that, you see this large statue of this figure. And this figure is uh, Miasnikan. For Armenians, Miasnikan is regarded as this major, major hero. In addition to being a revolutionary, he was also um, a statesman. The reason why I think he's very important is because we need more people like him today in Armenia. He came into Armenia at a time when Armenia had a crisis of leadership. Armenia needed somebody to pull the country together to bring the country out of, you know, misery and poverty. I mean, you have to think where Armenia was. We're talking about in the early 1920s. We're talking about right after the genocide, right after the fall of the First Republic. The First Republic, of course, was a noble experiment at creating an independent Armenian Republic. You know, the Dajnaks who led the Republic, they tried their best, uh, you know, I mean, so I'm not going to judge about, you know, their leadership qualities or anything, but still, it was a very difficult time, you have to think, because um, a lot of Armenian refugees were fleeing from Western Armenia to uh, you know, what later became Soviet Armenia at the time, Russian Armenia or Eastern Armenia. A lot of, lot of refugees 
a lot of refugees, and many of them would settle around Etchmiadzin, let's say. Uh, many of them would just settle in general in, in eastern Armenia because of the uh, genocide that was going on that Turkey was committing. In addition, you had, you know, poverty. You had this old kind of infrastructure in this uh, part of the old uh, Russian Caucasus. So you have to think that Yerevan was not a major urban center in the sense of uh, Tiflis or Baku at the time. The Armenian bourgeoisie, the Armenian merchant class, as we all know, was centered on these two cities, Tiflis and Baku, and especially Tiflis. We think about Armenian literature, we think about Tumanyan, we think about uh, Rafi, we think about all these great Armenian authors. They were all based in Tiflis, the grand city of Tiflis. In the words of Tsar Nicholas I, after the conquest of Yerevan in 1828, he came to Yerevan to inspect his you know, new uh, addition to the Russian Caucasus. And he called it a clay pot. And really, Yerevan uh, had not evolved, uh, you know, dramatically from the period of the Russian conquest. And so it was, you know, relatively like a frontier, uh, you know, fortress town, Yerevan. It was, not, it was not a major city as we know it today. So going back to Miasny Khan, to kind of set this context of who is Miasny Khan. Miasny Khan was a great Armenian revolutionary. He was somebody who studied at the Lazarian Institute in Moscow. So this is a famous kind of Armenian kind of uh, institute in Moscow. If you know who Lazarians are, they're, they're a very famous family, Armenian family, old family. He also, uh, from a young age, was very much interested in, in student radicalism. So he was attracted. And you also have to think of the context of the time. The, in the Russian Empire, revolutionary ideas and socialist ideas were very, very uh, in vogue in, in those days. If we look at, for example, the Armenian Revolutionary Movement, even if we look at Dajnaks, I mean, that this is that these were movements that fused together socialism with expressions of Armenian nationalism. He's, in general, attracted to revolutionary ideas, and then specifically he goes toward, you know, communism, socialism, Lenin. In 1906, he joins the Communist Party. So what does that tell us? It tells us uh, that really Myasnikan was what they would call an old Bolshevik. He was one of the old guard of the revolution, right? He wasn't somebody who joined after 1917. He joined before. Uh, the October Revolution. So this was one of the older, you know, kind of revolutionary leaders. He participated in the, uh, you know, all-Russian strike of October 1905. Um, and, and so, I mean, he was involved with 1905 revolution even before he officially joined, uh, you know, the party. I mean, he was, he was already attracted to these ideas. Uh, he also worked with uh, Stepan Shamyan. So if you know Stepan Shamyan, who that is, he was leader of the Baku Commune. Right. Also, Japaridze, also very famous uh, at the uh, for being involved in the Baku Commune. He studied in Moscow, Miasnikan, at Moscow University. Now, you might assume he's what is his last name, Miasnikan, or actually, it's also been Russified as Miasnikov, but Miasnikan. You might assume, well, with such a name as this, I mean, the guy came from you know Nornakichevan. He came from Rostov, the Armenian community of Rostov. And uh, really, when we look at it, you might assume that he cut his revolutionary chops uh, in Yerevan or in Baku or in Tiflis or one of these places. But in reality, really, no. He actually was um, he was in the Russian army during the during World War One on the Western Front. Um, and actually, he became involved in the affairs of Belarus. So he was actually the first secretary of Belarus, 
right? Long before our good friend uh, Batka Lukashenko was the leader of Belarus, you had uh, you had Miasnikan, an Armenian, uh, who was the kind of the uh, leader of the um, Belarusian uh, Revolutionary Committee. So he kind of, you know, this was this was um, something else too. That not only does he have a, a, a history in Armenia, but he has a history in uh, Belarus, and he was involved in the Russian Civil War, the front in Belarus. So let's fast forward to what happens with Armenia. So when we talk about Armenia in this period of time, we talked about the First Republic. After that, Armenia was Sovietized; it was absorbed into the USSR. Armenia lost uh, certain territories as a result of the agreement between Mustafa Kemal and the Bolsheviks, uh, notably the districts of Gars, Ardahan, Surmalu, and Surmalu, as we know, is the district where Mount Ararat is located. Um, and uh, this was a very painful loss for Armenians, and there's actually some debate with the Dajnaks maybe had ceded power during the May uprising, could they have avoided uh, the loss of these lands? But that's that's kind of a counterfactual uh, history. But uh, so anyway, uh, Soviet power was established in Armenia, and to much of the population, even though uh, you had the loss of these territories, for the mass of the Armenian people, it was a major relief, because you have to think, the majority of the people, you know, didn't have jobs. There was a good, a large population of Armenians from Western Armenia who were starving refugees, and uh, it was a very, very dire social situation. On top of that, you also had in 1921 the uprising in Zangazor, or Sunik, led by Garingin Dejde, uh, which opposed the Bolshevik authority and uh, attempted to kind of reinsert the Dajnak uh, rule in Armenia. And uh, part of this was also sparked, as a matter of fact, by uh, the new Soviet leadership in Armenia, led by Kasyan. So Kasyan, who was the Soviet Armenian leader at the time, preferred to kind of do uh, a kind of a, uh, how do you say, more of a uh, kind of a tougher policy to institute the Bolshevik rule in Armenia. Uh, what happens is it creates a popular reaction from the population. And the Dajnaks, of course, they, you know, step in to kind of, you know, take hold of this as kind of a popular uprising and so on and so forth. But um, what happens is in the aftermath of that, it's very clear to Lenin in Moscow that you cannot have uh, such a hard, uh, you cannot just take such a hard position when you're trying to establish the rule of your state in these Caucasian countries. You have to take more of kind of a cautious approach. So his idea was you need somebody like Miasnikan, somebody who is sensitive to the local conditions, who could talk to the people, who could really kind of understand where everybody was. And so Miasnikan came down from Moscow, and he actually brought uh, Lenin's letter, as a matter of fact, uh, basically to you know the the comrades of Azerbaijan, Georgia, Armenia, Dagestan, uh, basically instructing them on behalf of Lenin. This was a letter on behalf of Lenin to take a more kind of a moderate approach toward ruling, uh, you know, the Caucasus, and to take into consideration the local traditions. Here's a fun fact, as a matter of fact, that Lenin was for taking a much more cautious approach on Georgia than Stalin was. So we have these narratives. If you go to Tbilisi today, there is a museum of Russian occupation, which really has very overt political intents, right? Almost cartoonish political intents. But the reality is that the, the men who were spearheading the Soviet uh, Sovietization of Georgia were in fact Georgians. So you had Stalin and Sergo Orzhanikidze, whereas the Russians 
uh, the Russian Bolsheviks were more in, in favor of a more kind of moderate and cautious approach toward a country such as Georgia, which has its own, uh, you know, national traditions, its own culture, its own history. This is similar to what how Lenin decided to deal with uh, the situation in Armenia, to bring in Miasny Khan, to kind of bring some order to the situation, but also be sensitive to the local concerns and to the local population. He was in Belarus first, and then he was actually the first secretary of the Moscow city uh, you know, committee, and actually also the provincial committee, as a matter of fact. So really, I mean, we're talking about somebody who was in Belarus, he was in Moscow, he had demonstrated uh, to the, the Bolshevik leadership that he could be a good administrator, he knew how to run things. And he knew how to run Armenia, too, by the way. So he came in, and the, one of the first things he, he did was he encouraged not only a kind of a more moderate approach toward Armenian nationalism, but he encouraged to bring in all these great Armenian cultural figures, who lived outside the republic. So you have to think, people like Martiro Saryan, Alexander Tamanyan, you know, I mean, to, to bring in these people to kind of rebuild Armenia. So in many ways, when we talk about the Sovietization of Armenia and the founding of the Armenian Republic, of the Soviet Armenian Republic, this is almost like akin to kind of the experience of Israel. So after World War II, Israel was founded as a state. I mean, the analogy is not perfect. No historical analogy is 100%. But it's very similar because you really have a period where you have a people who just came from genocide or they, they were suffering from genocide and, you know, near complete extermination and annihilation. And here you had the development, the establishment of a real kind of uh, a state for them, a state to kind of safeguard uh, their national traditions, their national culture, and so on and so forth. And this is really what Armenia became during this period of the 20s. The 20s in the Soviet Union was characterized by a new policy that Lenin had instituted called the New Economic Policy, NIP, as, as you probably have heard, NIP. And this is a period where uh, really Lenin understood from his own experience. This is why he, he advocates a more moderate position on, on the Caucasus. But it's not only that. He's also looking at the country as a whole. And what he did was during the Civil War, he instituted something known as war communism, where he had like forceful requisitioning of grain from the peasants. There was conflict between, you know, the Bolsheviks and the peasants and all this. And he decided we need to have a grand deal with the peasants to stabilize the situation in the country. So we should kind of create a, a new system that brings together the best of socialism and the best of capitalism and puts it into a single system. And this system was known as NEP or the New Economic Policy. And actually for the 20s, it worked uh, quite well. And this is really what uh, when Armenians think of this period of NEP, this was a major period of rebuilding. This is the period where you have Alexander Tamanyan developing Yerevan as a major city. You have also, of course, uh, you know, all these famous Armenian writers and artists coming in. We had uh, Martiro Sarian, but also Charens. So Charens actually wrote poetry about how Yerevan is springing up as a new city, that this is representing after... Now, this is actually an interesting thing. This is kind of a divergence between the, our Western Armenian uh, experience versus the Eastern Armenian experience. So for many Western Armenians, 1915 was almost like, you know, or 19, even 1920, with the end of the First Republic, this was almost the end of the history of Armenia. So many of them went into exile. They went into communities like the Lebanese Armenian community or the Syrian Armenian community or to the United States or to Europe. And that was the end of Armenia for them. But for the people here in Yerevan, in Soviet Armenia, this was uh, a period where from the ashes 
of of the nation from the destruction, from the genocide, from the near, from the precipice of destruction, from the precipice. Because we also have to understand that really, when the Armenians are rebuilding Armenia and they're creating this new Soviet Republic of Armenia, this is the ultimate message to the Turkish authorities and to the young Turks that we are not going to die. We are not going to, you, know, you cannot eliminate us, that we are, you know, being born again as a new republic. And this was exactly the emphasis of the motivation of so much of the creative energy that was coming out of Armenia at this time, like Charenz's poetry, that Yerevan was this new city, that we are coming into like this new period. All was initiated under the leadership of Miasni Khan. Also, efforts to irrigate Armenia, efforts to take the because Armenia, especially the central, uh, you know, uh, provinces of Armenia, are very dry. The idea was to irrigate the Armenian land, and so you could make because if you irrigate Armenian land, it's actually very, very fertile, and there are lots of you know delicious fruits and vegetables you can grow on the land. And this is another thing that under Miasnikan, these this process of building new infrastructure, of irrigating the land, this also began under him too. So this was, uh, we talk about leadership, we need a model uh, today in Armenia. This is, actually has contemporary relevance because after the defeat in Artsakh, you know, uh, one thing actually I have to say I, I deeply admire, as an Armenian coming from the diaspora, looking at Armenians in Armenia, that, you know, Armenians in Armenia understand what it means, you know, to be, you know, down but not out. That, you know, okay, so this... You know, what happened in Artsakh was a setback. But from this, we can come back even stronger. And that was the message that, uh, you know, Armenians were sending when they were rebuilding their republic during the NEP period, during 1920s. And this, again, is a great credit to Alexander Myasnikan. I think that people perceived him very positively. I mean, this is also a period of time where you didn't really have really yet an entrenched elite that the Soviet Armenian elite is still kind of forming, right? So there's a big difference between this period uh, and like, let's say in 1930s, when Arutinov, Grigory Arutinov comes into Armenia and, you know, many of the elites who are established Armenian elites don't necessarily accept Arutinov because he's an Armenian from Georgia who speaks Russian. It's a different dynamic. Here, this guy came in and he was accepted as kind of part of the elite. Plus, you also have to think, he had the authority of Lenin behind him. This is also interesting, too. When we talk about Lenin and his legacy in Armenia, a lot of Armenians usually point to, well, you know, he gave away Armenian lands, you know, in Kars, Ardahan, you know, Surmalu, this kind of a thing. But Lenin also has another aspect of his legacy that we often forget, that he brought or he allowed Miasnikan to come down here and actually help rebuild Armenia. So that's another thing. And also, frankly, the, the, the spirit of Lenin's new economic policy gave artists like Charens, Martiro Sarian, that he, that this, this period gave them, you know, cultural and artistic freedom to do as they pleased. You know, and actually, uh, unfortunately, as the years would go on, when we get to our good friend Stalin, it becomes less free of an environment, you know, to put it lightly. But in this period of NEP, it's a very, very open and liberal, uh, for lack of a better term, liberal period. And so this is another aspect of Lenin's legacy. So you cannot really say that the guy is, you know, black or white. Uh, but the biggest thing that he did to help Armenia was to bring in Miasnikan. And Miasnikan did really, really a great job. And we only can wish we had leaders like that, uh, you know, today. And maybe we will. You know, who knows? I mean, the history is still being written. History never ends. I know that there are some uh, commentators in the West, 
like our good friend Francis Fukuyama, who would say this is, you know, with the dissolution of USSR in 1991, it was the end of history. But the reality is history always is, is being written constantly. So Miasnikan was very much a big part of that. So the legacy of Miasnikan in Armenia, I mean, Miasnikan is regarded as a hero today in Armenia. Um, and for many years, actually, in Armenia, during beginning in the Stalinist period, there was a period from the 1930s, on, where there was an effort to kind of whitewash Miasnikan out of the Armenian history. This fundamentally changed on March 11, 1954, when Anastas Mikoyan came into Yerevan and delivered his speech at the Opera House, basically proclaiming that, uh, you know, we should fight against not only national chauvinism, but also national nihilism. And in the course of that speech, Mikoyam was calling for the rehabilitation of the poet Charents and the republication of Rafi and Patkanyan's works. But also he called for the rehabilitation, if you will, of Miasnikan and his memory in Armenia. On that note, I should note something else, too. Miasnikan died in 1925. March 22nd, 1925, he died in this horrible plane crash. And there was some suspicion that even Beria might have been... I mean, actually, Trotsky, of all people, alluded that maybe Beria was, you know, somehow involved in, in that in that plane crash in a kind of sinister way. Um, but we don't know for sure. That's the bottom line. But this is what happened with Miasnikan. Now, about his legacy in Armenia, he's regarded as a great hero. There was a great film by Frunz Dovlatian about Miasnikan called Delivery, or kind of rebirth. And this film was made in 1977, and Horen Abrahamian was the actor who played Miasnikan. And literally, if you watch the film, first of all, number one, what you would the, the sense you get is that this film is very, very historically accurate. For a Soviet-era film, it, it's actually quite historically accurate. And um, also, you know, Abrahamian is a, like almost like you could not get a better actor to play Miasni Khan. Like, he almost, like, doesn't even need to act. Like, he's he's that good in the role. Like, it's, like, it's just perfectly suited for him. But that uh, film, you know, really is a classic of uh, Armenian cinema. It's, it's one of Dovlatian's greatest films and one of the best uh, Soviet-era Armenian films. It should be made more available, I believe, with uh, English subtitles so more people can see different aspects of, you know, the, the revolution... Through uh, through the eyes, let's say, I mean, from the perspective of, let's say, uh, the Caucasus or other parts of uh, the Soviet Union and not just, you know, Leningrad and Moscow. The way of his politics, the method of Miasi Khan was sensitivity to the local concerns. He did not seek to impose blindly, you know, the, the kind of, uh, you know, the Soviet system on Armenia, let's say, or maybe... What might work in Moscow, he understood, would not work in Yerevan. That Armenia, the circumstances are completely different. There's a great shot when you watch the film, the Dovlatian film on Miasnikan, where Miasnikan is coming in to Yerevan and he sees, you know, all these starving refugees. He sees, uh, he sees uh, you know, Armenian uh, peasants burying their dead right there. As, as the train is coming in, he sees that. And people are running toward the train, thinking that the train is not carrying any, you know, high-level political people, but they think that, you know, this is bread. They say, hots, hots, hots. So this is kind of, uh, you know, the environment that he's in confronting. People are desperate. The country is in ruins. Um, it needs, so, it needs a, a hand to stabilize things and rebuild things. 
to put the country back on its feet and to to reassure people that thing, there's going to be a stability that you know you're going to be able to have your life again and so on and so forth so i think that 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 moderation is key and also sensing out the situation the unique circumstances of let's say Yerevan of Armenia versus Belarus versus Moscow that he would be able to kind of sense out these these differences in each uh in each case um, so when you're governing, when you're an administrator, you understand that, that each individual case requires adaptation, let's say, to the local circumstances. You cannot just take, like, again, like I said earlier, you cannot just take what worked in Moscow, you know, implement it exactly the same in Yerevan. It's going to have to be tailored to those local circumstances. And that's very important. And also very, very, very important. Uh, and Miastikan too, you know, not only was he sensitive to Armenian national culture, he celebrated Armenian national culture. I mean, this is a guy who wrote about, who celebrated and wrote about the Armenian alphabet. He wrote about Armenian poetry. He wrote about uh, Nalbandian in his writings. So this was somebody who was deeply uh, in tune with the Armenian culture and his national culture and his, his national feelings. So he also understood being an Armenian you have to, you know, give concessions to the local population here. You cannot just, like, impose, you know, let's say, a kind of a very Russified version of the Soviet state here. We have to, uh, you know, be cognizant of the local circumstances. So Miastikan, though, to this day, even after the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, is regarded as a great Armenian hero and a great patriot. I mean, he was somebody who served the Soviet state, but he also had a deep loyalty and deep commitment to his nation, to his people, and he was a superb leader, and more Armenians uh, should learn from this. At this point in the time, at this point in our history, in the Armenian history, especially given the recent tragedies that Armenia has gone through, we need to have a, a new Miasnikan come in and to kind of pick up the pieces and to kind of uh, put our house in order, so to speak. So this is where we are right now, and I thank you very much for this podcast.